1: Welcome aboard the Starship Zero-G Science Fiction, Fantasy and Historical Radio, episode number 1426, entitled Cooking Show, Lawyer Show. (laughs) (laughs) Our podcast title is Potter Call Saul. (laughs) I am Rob Jack. And Megan McHugh. (laughs) (laughs) And if you can decipher all of that and figure out what's on our menu for today... You, you'll win a prize.
0: <laughs> Our everlasting respect.
1: <laughs> the fame of the people forever, like a iron chef, you know. Oh, yes. <laughs> and welcome to, again, if you've just tuned in to Zero G for the first time in 2023. <laughs> Here we are all back again. Yes. So – We are going to talk about a movie called The Menu Mm -hmm. and also Better Call Saul, the prequel to Breaking Bad. Yes, a dark mixture. A fusion, if you will. So let's start off with The Menu, which Megan put me on. Yes,
0: so a classic Megan choice, a bit weird, a bit dark. Rob said to me, oh, gosh, it's like another fresh... But it's on Disney+, and it's also still in some cinemas as well. So if you're desperate to see it on the big screen, you're still able to at some cinemas, so check that out. So it is called The Menu. It's directed by Mark Mylord and written by Seth Rice and Will Tracy. So if you're not familiar with them, Mark Mylord actually directed Ali G. In the House, which is a bit of a throwback from a long time ago. He's been involved Mm. in a lot of TV since then, the US adaptation of the British show Shameless, and he's also worked on... On Game of Thrones and Succession after getting his start in TV, mostly on the BBC in his early days. And this film is executive produced by Will Ferrell and a Ferrell collaborator, Adam McKay. So, Adam McKay is another director favourite of ours. He did Don't Look Up, the Apocalypse Uh, film with a twist, I guess you'd say, and also The Big Short, which is a favourite of mine, and Vice, which focuses on Dick Cheney, I believe. So he's got a pretty distinct directing style himself and he has had a hand in producing this one.
1: I also saw that he'd done, like, Amazing Stories episode and United States of Yeah, so he's
0: dabbled in some good TV himself. If you've seen the film already and you think parts of it look very reminiscent of the Netflix documentary series Chef's Table... You'd be quite right. It intentionally does because David Gelb, a Helms chef table, was specifically hired to recreate that style for this film. So that's a very intentional nod Mm -hmm. and they've got the man himself to emulate the chef's table look and feel for some of the sequences, which I think stood out pretty clearly to me.
1: It nevertheless is on Disney+. Plus.
0: Yes, yes. Strangely enough. (laughs) Despite all of the involvement of these Netflix peeps. But yes, so it is billed as a bit of a comedy horror. I would say it's not necessarily a horror. It's a bit more of a twisted comedy satire. There's plenty of laughs to be had. And I wouldn't say it's scary, but of course, there's some violent shocks and surprises along the way. And it's not for the faint of heart. It's We're definitely getting into some nitty gritty, but I would say to call it a horror is a little bit misleading, let's say.
1: What do you think, Rob? And I was misled by the trailer and everything, and I'm thinking this has to be like a, a gourmet cannibal Oh right, yes. I was totally sold on it being something like the Cook, the Thief, His Wife and a Lover, and Silence of the Lambs and Eating Roll and the whole lot. Had it all worked out in my head and it doesn't No, do that.
0: no, it's very takes a different bit of a different turn I and mean, you would be forgiven for going in thinking there was gonna be a cannibal angle, but I guess we can say now right now it's not of that ilk. It does kind of no. work wanna surprise you and it is a bit dark, but it's not too dark. Like I think it's still intended to be enjoyable. It's pretty tongue in cheek. It's poking a lot of fun at the rich and also fine dining culture, restaurant culture, and taking all of that to the very extreme. Like it's all very exaggerated. Or is it? Because I think some of it's actually pretty
1: accurate to be honest. Could we put it into the category and I don't mean literally, because it's not a cannibal movie, of eat the kind of film. Yeah, yeah, so... Glass Onion. we just We had it. talked
0: a little bit about the Eat the Rich uh, kind of genre that's really hot right now, Glass Onion, Triangle of Sadness. Season two of The White Lotus falls a bit into that. And I've read some interesting critiques about that trope and whether it's actually furthering anything new or if it's just kind of trotting out what's the most obvious. Anti-capitalism is obviously, <laughs> you know, the, we're very anti-capitalist right now. So I think that's a very interesting, but let's not go down that path necessarily. But you're right. It's very much an examination of some of those themes we've seen in some other content of late. And if you've seen The Bear, which is a TV show that's also on Disney+, Plus, which focuses on a high, fine dining chef who goes back home to work in his family sandwich shop, and you've seen that tension and you've kind of seen that behind the scenes restaurant culture and survived, you might like this, that this has some of that more thriller angle. I personally thought it was pretty hilarious, quite tense and really well acted with plenty of kind of twists and turns, even though a lot of it is quite obvious once you have it clocked. I'd say it's a bit of a Yorgos Lathimos light. And
1: In fact, it's got one of the actors from that in it. Yes,
0: it does. Oh, you're yeah. quite right. Yes, our, yeah. our mate Nicholas Holt, a yeah. Lathimos fave. And I would say it is a little bit similar in tone and vibe to Fresh, that cannibal mm-hmm. movie that we watched, where it's it's funny and over the top while still obviously being horrific. <laughs> so
1: It's one of those movies that takes you into ridiculous procedures Yes. And you go, none of this would work, but it drags you along with it. By the end of the movie, you're going, yeah, I don't care. Yeah, you know, Exactly. Here.
0: It's got <laughs> nods to this, nods to that. There's a lot of winks at the audience, that kind of thing, especially if you're into foodie culture. You'll kind of really pick up all of those notes. I guess we should tell you a bit more about the summary and then maybe we'll hear a little bit of music from the score so, so we've talked a bit as restaurant culture, foodie culture, blah blah blah. So basically we've got a young couple, Tyler and Margot. One is a foodie, one is not so much. They head to an exclusive restaurant on the island of Hawthorne where the price of a seating at dinner is, you know, in four figures and above, that kind of thing. Very exclusive crowd.
1: I think they mentioned it it was like twelve fifty ahead. And I assume I assume they don't mean twelve dollars. No, and
0: then if you if you kinda of convert that, we're looking pretty pretty pricey. So it's a bit of a farm to table kind of place. They prepare and make the food on the island. There's this specifically aged meat, it's this finely tuned ship, the captain of which is this renowned chef Chef Slowick, played by Rafe Fiennes. We'll talk a bit more about the cast in a minute. So it's all very serious fun fine, high quality dining. Margot doesn't quite get it. She's a bit of a fish out of water and that's the least of everyone's worries really because everything's running normal, normal experience until it isn't and the night takes a bit of a turn and our exclusive high class guests aren't really sure what's going to happen or if they're going to make it off the island Mm. or not or what's all this about. So, That's kind of the overall premise that we're looking at. And we've got a pretty vibrant cast of different rich type characters, but maybe before we talk a little bit about them, should we hear a little bit of music to get us in the mood? So the score was composed by Colin Stetson. So he's a musician who's worked with Arcade Fire and Bon Iver. So he's done a bit of band commercial music, but he also did the score for the acclaimed Ari Aster horror film Hereditary. So oh. he's got his chops in that genre. And so let's hear the track Welcome to Hawthorne.
1: Hi, My name is Greg McLean, director
0: of Wolf Creek and Rogue. You are listening to Zero G on 3 R. That was Welcome to Hawthorne by Colin Stetson from the movie The Menu, which is now on Disney Plus and in some theatres.
1: It went from theatres to streaming very quickly, but that's the way it isn't is.
0: It? And it's quite good actually because I'd been sort of spruiking it a bit around, and then when I saw it pop up on Disney Plus, I was like, "Guys, it's available! It's so easy to watch now. Please get onto it." But yes. Let's talk through some of the characters. I'd be keen to hear your thoughts on some of these <laughs> vibrant characters—a different kind of rich tropes in some ways, but that's okay. We've got one of our main couple, Nicholas Holt. He does a really nice job of being this cringy, foodie, disgusting man who just obviously is so obsessed and just has inserted himself into this restaurant culture so much. Just the way he eats food and talks. He just does such a nice, subtle job, I thought. Nicholas Holt, as he mentioned, has been in the favorite. He also played J.R.R. Tolkien in the movie Tolkien and he's also been, of course, Beast in the X-Men movies, the newer ones, and Mad Max Fury Road, another iconic role for him. So, we've seen him quite a bit. I think he's fantastic. I honestly think he can do big roles and he can do more subtle stuff like this. He was obviously just having a good time, I think.
1: It was in Fury Road playing the character of mm. Nux. If he is somehow able to come back for the, the next one of those movies, he'll run into his co-star in this, Anya Taylor-Joy, who's going to be in the next. Is she? <laughs>
0: She's a star on the rise for sure. So, yeah, she plays Nicholas Holt's dining partner, let's say, Margot. I think she's really magnetic. As Margot, she's very much more sceptical of the surroundings. She's got kind of not so much of a palate for the fine dining, and she all thinks it's a bit ridiculous, to be honest. And the way they pitch it in the film, it is a bit ridiculous. (laughs) And we have seen her in Split and Glass, which are the M. Night Shyamalan films that also starred James McAvoy. Her breakout was probably in the horror film The Witch. Mm, yeah, brilliant film. And she's sort of been, yeah, really rising since then. She was also in The New Mutants, but I'm not too sure what her role was
1: in that. Ilyana Rasputin magic. Uh, but She's actually going to play Furiosa. Is she? In the uh Fury Road prequel. That's interesting. I wouldn't have... It makes sense. if you go backwards. wouldn't you have know. pegged that. I think she'd be very interesting to see. We also know her voice. Yes. From the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, where she played the character of Bria.
0: Yeah, and she sort of really became much more well-known through the Queen's Gambit, which is the historical chess show that was on Netflix as well. She got a bit more wider recognition after that role too. So she's great here, of course. Then we also have Ray Finds as I mentioned as head chef and restauranteur. And he's this great mix of reprehensible, pitiable and fearsome. And he just is obviously having the time of his life in this. And we've seen him as M in Bond. He was in the Lego movies too, which I don't recall him being in, but he was in those doing some voice work, Hail Caesar, Voldemort, of course, in the Harry Potter films and Grand Budapest Hotel and multiple other things we've seen him in in his time, in Bruges as well. And
1: importantly in context with May murders, he was one of the villains in Red Dragon. He was actually playing the killer who Lecter was helping to catch the red dragon at the title with the big dragon on his back. <laughs> So I just thought that was kind of funny that he ended up playing a celebrity chef. Yeah, he's, he always
0: p- picks the formidable characters. I mean, one day he'll play a kindly grandfather.
1: <laughs> we'll see. He's not in that phase yet. <laughs> not yet. There's a, a guy who plays a celebrity actor within the film who's kind of passed his leading man, action figure, whatever role he, he was used to, and now he's saying, well, I'm in my presenter phase. yes. yes. And he's actually going to present a television show. Actually. Yeah,
0: and thats he's quite right. And there is a bit of a phase for older actors where they'll go and they'll have a special or they'll have some cooking special. They travel, they do this or that, they present, oh, my thought on street food, blah, blah, blah. So that character is played by John Leguizamo, plays this said washed-up actor. Washed-up is probably a bit harsh. And We don't actually ever really know his name, but he also has an assistant there who he's dining with, played by Amy Carrero. So there's some of the other dinner guests, Leguizmo, Moulin Rouge, Encanto, The Mandalorian, loads of stuff. I was pretty happy to see him pop up here, to be honest. Other dining companions rounding out our small seating, Janet McTeer and Paul Adelstein playing a fastidious restaurant critic and her editor, respectively.
1: Yes.
0: Then we also have an, an older, rich couple who frequent the restaurant quite a bit, all things considered, considering how expensive and exclusive it is. And then we also have three finance bros who come along and all a bit bro and think it's all a bit of a laugh and they're willing to throw their weight around a bit because don't you know who I am, X, Y, Z? Blah
1: blah blah. You know, in a way, it's kind of predictable. They're all bad people. One answers a question: What school did you go to? And she says Brown. Student loans? No, no student loans. You're going to yeah. die. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's it's this. It's very black and white privilege, and the whole point is they're, yeah. they're stereotypes, right? We also there's yeah. is a mysterious older woman there who's already there when the others arrive by boat as well. And then of course we have the restaurant and kitchen staff, including a sommelier. So they kind of round out everybody there.
1: The older woman reminded me of, of just the random guy on the docks and uh, in glass onion who was kicking oh, around all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Not quite the same. The woman in this case has actually a real a real important part in the plot. Yeah. Yeah, you're not really sure
0: what the deal with her is until she's sort of introduced, with the backstory. I do want to specifically call out Hong Chao plays to perfection the role of an extremely dedicated host, Elsa. So from the get-go, she's got this great cold energy very forbidding. Uh, she's obviously relishing a bit of that all-out, like, all no-holds-barred role. Um. She's relishing and pickling yeah, <laughs> And really yeah. running the show As uh, insofar as the restaurant floor while we've got Ray Fines in the kitchen really running that ship too.
1: We've seen her before uh, Hong Chao in, in The Watchman in 2019 and also in Homecoming oh, as well. nice. A couple of other people I did spot in there, Janet uh, mcteer uh, Jessica Jones' mum in um, oh. in that series, and there's a character called Felicity in the menu, played by Amy Carrero and she is the voice of Sheera, <laughs> Princess of Power, in the Netflix series. Oh, nice! So you know we've got some heavyweight people here. Yeah, she's. I'm
0: pretty sure <laughs> she is John Leguizamo's assistant. This is Ashley C. Williams. I played Lindsay in The Human Centipede and the title character in Julia. You're listening to Zero G on 3 R. Yeah, so we've got a very small cast, really. So it's a bit of an ensemble situation. It's kind of a one setting or one island setting thing, and all of the action plays out over this one evening in this one location, and we're really set up to go on this ride together. And, yeah, it sort of doesn't really wait too long to start digging no. in and, and pulling the rug out from under under us basically um, should we talk a little bit about thoughts i mean i'm interested rob going in you had you you thought you had it pegged with the whole cannibal angle what were your thoughts on the film and did you like it
1: i thought it was fine dying really i'm watching this thinking oh yeah i know this this kind mm. of film but they kept enough twists and turns in it to make it interesting. And I noticed it had a very Squid Games feel to it, Mm. partly because there were some of the same tropes, an invitation, a troop of minions. You know, there was a lot going on in there that was very squid gamey, mm. um, but of course filtered through the, the eyes of a, of a cooking show, basically. And, you know, the, the celebrity actor reminded me a bit of Johnny Depp because he'd, he'd obviously played pirates because he started out with a pirate accent and uh, yes. boarded the, the boat to the island. And he even looked a bit like Johnny Depp, actually. And there was many elements in this that we've seen a lot of in other things. But as we were talking about fusion cooking, it does actually come together in quite a neat way to give you some kind of unique flavours, I suppose, mm, mm. to, to that, that murder genre. It's not a detective whodunit type like No. Thing. You know, it does keep you guessing, and that's kind of the whole idea. You're trying to – the notional idea is that you're trying to guess the theme of the night, the gastronomical Yes.
0: Theme. Yeah, like it's all meant to come together. That's what the menu is, and – it. It becomes pretty clear. Like I would say it's definitely firmly in the satire. It's calling on a lot of tropes. It's really forefronting a lot of those jokes and one liners around restaurant culture. And I would say it's not a very nuanced one. And that's not a criticism. It has a really clear point and it just hammers and sticks to that message throughout. And it just executes it really well. And I think there's nothing wrong with that at all. I don't think every satire has to be levels deep. I think it was saying, I'm going to do this thing. I'm sending up class and privilege and the uber rich, but I also want to deal a bit with the service industry of all kinds of different service industries. And it went, okay, what's the best way for me to use a template to get this point across? I think as well, there's some neat little references to the pandemic and the effect of the pandemic on the restaurant industry, which I appreciated. And I Mm. think those little notes keep it very contemporary and it's a very of this time kind of film. I think this will resonate more now than it will in like five or ten years, say. And I did think it was funny. Like there's some genuinely some really great funny moments, really good callbacks, and the climax is utterly ridiculous. But by that point you've gone on the, you know, you're in. You're Like you said before, you just go with it. You're all in at that point. Yeah. So for me, I loved it. I thought it's right up my alley though. It's this weird <laughs> weird eat the rich thing, but it's a really nice convergence, I think, of charismatic acting, snappy writing and tense directing and it stays really focused and I think that works for it. So mm. enjoyable, but, yes, there is violence. It's not all fun and games. So just a note that there's there's laughs but there's also some uh, covering of the eyes. <laughs>
1: Uh, Rafe finds he's not stretching himself. (laughs) It's sort of very similar to half a dozen of the villains that he's played before. Uh, But he is really mesmerizing when he's interacting with uh, Anya Taylor Joy, who really is an incredible Mm. actress. She appears in so many of these scenes and instantly dominates them. And I know that's partly the script, but. Yeah. And I don't want to call the others supporting cast because it is an ensemble. Uh, Supporting notes, I suppose, in, in. cooking terms but they all are excellent in the way they plug into this main thing and some of them don't have large no, roles in it but it's all but but they, they're there part of the color presented
0: yeah like yeah. a restaurant it all just part of comes together i would say too you you're right like it's not nicholas holt and anya taylor joy at the center of the film it's ray fines and anya taylor joy and those interactions yeah and he's kind of on the side so, yeah, definitely. I think she's fantastic. And obviously there's a bit of mystique around her at the moment. She's the latest hot thing, but I genuinely think I agree. She's really, she's just, you can't take your eyes off her when she's in a scene.
1: Mm. I do wonder if <laughs> there shouldn't be a genre of fiction called uh, Final Island. Death. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Been a bit of that lately. And it's a bit, I mean, since the Agatha Christie days, it's like,
1: Remember that book you were telling us about where they have like the final surviving girls from all of the yes. slasher yeah. things? They do that quite easily. Against-
0: yeah, the island is never a good vibe, just never go. <laughs> Like you said before, no, no. It, don't be invited to an island ever.
1: Yeah, tear the invitation up, throw it in the sea. That's as close as you get to going in yep, the water. Exactly, exactly.
0: <laughs> so that was the menu. I think pretty solid film. I, I quite enjoyable. You'll know if you're into it or not pretty quickly. It's on Disney Plus, or you can trot along to yeah. some cinemas for that one. And I think we've got another track to lead out of that portion.
1: <laughs> we just keep inadvertently using it. Oh, the I didn't think that
0: was uh, totally inadvertent.
1: I think we can go to our uh, another food mm-hmm. track, food mm-hmm. related track. Uh, and this is from Breaking Bad, actually. Mm-hmm. Polos Humanos Veneno Amazing. by Key Flores. So this is about, you know, um, Gus Fring's chicken shop franchise. So we'll go with Polos Humanos Veneno. This is Sir Derek Jacoby. Zero G or not zero G? That is the question. Yeah. We had Los Polos. Que <laughs> 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 Flores there from Breaking Bad, which is our segue into a discussion about the lawyer show. Yeah. Better Call Saul, which of course is a prequel yes. to Breaking Bad, and oh my gosh, <laughs> you know sometimes you just go, why would you want to add anything on to? <laughs> yeah, why mess with it? Mm. Breaking Bad, Vince Gilligan's creation, five seasons, sixty-two episodes, plus the El Camino sequel movie. January 2008 to September 2013. Part of C21 pop culture legend. Yes. It was nominated for 248 industry awards. Well deserved. Won a total of 92. Wow. Uh, It's in the Guinness Book of World Records now as the most critically acclaimed show of all time. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so, you know, Vince Gilligan, of course, known for that and also writer and producer on The X-Files and co-creator of the Lone Gunman spin-off. So he goes from Breaking Bad to Better Call Saul, which has got its own six seasons. He's been
0: in Uh, that world for a long time.
1: Yeah, yeah, you'd think it's going to get to his... (laughs) Brain space after this is off to do a kind of a, an ex-filey Twilight Zone science fiction <laughs> mm-hmm. series, which is going to star uh, Rhea Seahorn, who plays Kim Wexler in Better Call Soul. So, you know how that all works. Um, likes it and mm-hmm. that, uh, uh takes him into the next production. Great, you know. So, because I, I want to see more of her in a uh, show. Mm. So, okay, this is set. Early 2000s, again in uh, Albuquerque, <laughs> New Mexico. <laughs> that place that you should take a left turn at, and boy, you really mm-hmm. should. <laughs> so it's, it is set several years before the Breaking Bad. All in the title, Better Call Saul. So it is about Saul Goodman. And yes, how are things? Saul Goodman, you know, that's mm-hmm. how it works. His real name is Jimmy McGill, James McGill played by the incredible Bob Odenkirk. And if I were to pick a character from Breaking Bad I would like to see a spin-off of, Saul would probably be the one, along with Mike. Who kind of was around, right? Mm. Yes, yes, exactly. And Mike actually features in Better Call Saul, so we get the best yeah. of both thoughts there now i did mention when we were talking about this show briefly last week that if you're going to watch this and think of it just as a a cameo vehicle Uh, it is that but it is so much more you know this is done in a legitimately exquisitely elegant way and it is actually, I think, one of the finest prequels, movie or television, that I've ever seen. Obviously, it works better because it's got legroom on television. Yep.
0: yep. And spin offs are tough to crack, like especially drama ones. Uh, comedy, obviously, there's loads of spin offs from popular sitcoms, but I think a successful drama spin off, rare.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So, look, the the basic premise is quite simple. Jimmy McGill, who's also known as Slippin' Jimmy because he used to do falls in front of vehicles and uh, scams in his hometown, that kind of thing, it shows his interestingly shaded good-bad intentions. And, you know, just as Walter White was trying to look after his family by becoming a drug chemist... (laughs) as he yep. did, Jimmy has the makings of a really exceptional lawyer. Mostly those makings are kept rolled up in a joint. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's, he, there's a descent, a staged descent into the character that he is in Breaking Bad on show here. And it's facilitated by other characters in there like you know all of the breaking bad people who show up in this they're all part of that obviously jimmy is a friend of the cartel or becomes that during this series now kim wexler his romantic interest again so much more yeah. than that a full character in her own right in this played by Rhea Seahorn, who's got quite a bit of science fiction and genre credit mm-hmm. as well she is a a piece of work in her own right. She goes on her own journey. Mm. And one of the keys to Breaking Bad was actually the title, Breaking. There are a lot of shots in Breaking Bad where they show us things that are Mm. broken. The scene finishes on that. So too in Better Call Saul, and it applies to the people too. Kim Wexler is much more of a Atticus Finch sort of character. She wants to be the crusading uh, lawyer, uh, helping the small people take on the, the man, the big people. And the, yeah. And she's not really able to do that, that, that kind of pro bono work. She does want to really do yeah. so. She does, she does some of that. and It's a very complicated thing. Her, her story arc in itself is a, is a yeah. wonder. It's not as simple as glass ceilings yeah. for her. She is a, a high-powered lawyer in her own right. And now, I think a small excerpt from Dave Porter's Better Call Saul soundtrack album. The track is One Last Grift. Hello, this is Bobcat Goldthwaite, and you're listening to 3RRRFM Melbourne. One Last Grift from Better Call Saul by Dave Porter, who also gave us the Breaking Bad soundtrack. Six seasons of Better Call Saul are streaming on Stan. You can buy them on Apple TV for streaming and download, and they're also out on DVD. One Last Grift riffs off the confidence, trickstering lifestyle of both Kim Wexler and Jimmy McGill, a.k.a. Saul Goodman. The indispensable Bob Odenkirk plays Saul as a complex, frequently self-contradicting, dubiously double-sided coin, probably with two cheating heads, that's a perfect mirror for Rhea Seaborn's character. Both enjoy the frill of the con, but they're both also got serious leanings towards being actual crusaders. They're very ill-made legal knights, indeed, galloping down only a sometimes paved with good intentions New Mexico road to hell. And both she and Jimmy come up in H H M Law Firm. The last letter stands for McGill. So Jimmy's brother is a senior partner uh, in that the Chuck McGill. Ah, uh, yes, that classic setup. Well, yeah. So he brings him into the into the firm through the mailroom after a period that Jimmy has spent in jail. So you know, and at this, this stage, Jimmy is not uh. lawyer. Chuck is, and I use the term deliberately, played in electrifyingly magnetic, obsessive detail by veteran actor Michael McKean. He's instrumental in Jimmy's being a good bad man and Saul being a bad good man. So there's a really complicated relationship between Chuck and Jimmy that that is teased out over the course of the series. And they do have six seasons to do this in, so they they do take their time and they dwell upon aspects of it. So it is a really fine character study of of that relationship between those. With, of course, Kim weaving throughout because, you know, as Jimmy's partner in both the romantic and the legal sense Mm -hmm. at at certain stages of the story, she interacts a lot with Chuck too. Then there's uh, Howard Hamlin, who is the other part of the HHM, organization, although he's actually the son of the guy who established it, so you know, got something to prove. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know. mm-hmm. Actor Patrick Fabian plays Howard Hamlin Straight alongside the very crooked line that is everyone else in BCS while simultaneously making him a first class ass who nevertheless doesn't deserve his ultimate fate, even when seen from the point of view of the show's very unreliable narrators. Uh, and along alongside all of this, it then, is of course, there's the whole cartel side. Uh, uh, there's Nacho Varga, who is working with the Salamancas. We see a lot more of the elder Salamanca, who we saw confined to a wheelchair in the Breaking Bad series. You know, the man with the, the bell... Yeah, him. Iconic. Uh, Don Hector Salamanca, actor Mark Margolis. It's amazing how much an actor can do with just a bell to deliver his lines. So we see him and another one of the Salamanca clan, Lalo Salamanca. Tony Dalton plays Lalo Salamanca with amiably ominous, dangerous energy. You don't know which way he's going to turn. Pretty much like all of the Salamanca family. And also the cousins. Do you remember the, the twins? Who were the much feared enforcers? They didn't say much in Breaking Bad, but boy, you felt their presence when they come in to knock somebody off. So there's quite a bit of the Salamanca clan in this, and of course, Gus Fring in this too. Giancarlo Esposito, who of course we've recently seen as Moff Gideon in The uh, The Mandalorian, has made Gus Fring an outstandingly coolly dapper villain who could easily make any best of the worst list of fictional baddies with his mixture of enormous cunning, organizational genius and long game vengefulness. So, you know, I don't really want to dwell upon the cameos because they're way more than cameos. Mike Ermentrout, the ex-Marine sniper, who ends up becoming one of the enforcers and so on. He's got a beautiful arc in this. We see the rest of his family, why he is the way he is. You know, so much of this ties into Breaking Bad. Yeah, you could probably watch it without seeing Breaking Bad because it's a prequel. But yeah the experience would not be anywhere near as rich. I would be interested in what would happen if you watch this first and then watch Breaking Bad. Yeah, interesting because it could still work, but
0: I think you're probably right in that it's meant to be viewed second so you get those little nuggets of extra content that flesh out the Breaking Bad experience. I don't know.
1: Los Polos chicken nuggets (laughs) too, I guess. But the way it works, I – I'm in season five of this, nearing the end of that. I know there's some pretty dark things coming up in season six, like I can tell. My Gilligan sense is tingling. I may very well get sucked into going back into and re-watching Breaking Bad on the back of this. That's how good this is.
0: Not a bad outcome. Not a bad outcome. My question is, does it hop over Breaking Bad? Like, does it approach the time of Breaking Bad and go past it, or is it just up to – is it all before? Or is that a well, spoiler?
1: Do I, I don't want to give – It's not really a spoiler since they've run six seasons already. But, okay. yes, if you do want to find out what happens next to Jimmy after Breaking okay. Bad, yep. Yep. that is delivered okay. upon. So, you know, there are flashbacks to earlier yep. than this, the contemporary action that takes place in this, mainly contemporary, Via interactions with characters from Breaking Bad, it plugs into okay. that, and then there is what happens after. As you know, Jimmy went yeah. on the run after Breaking Bad, there's flash forwards okay. in this. Interesting, always terribly well chosen, quite ironically, sometimes to give you a context for the action that happens in this show. Yeah, and they'll suddenly show this is what happens next.
0: Mm-hmm, <laughs> uh-huh.
1: You know, so I, I'm really chuffed by this. I I've watching this and thinking it was bingeable, mm. you know. I just wanted to keep watching it. Where is that available? Stan, I think, is it? Oh, yes, that's one of the platforms. It's it's on Stan. Obviously, you can see some of them on DVD oh, yeah. by now, as, of course, you can Breaking yep. Bad. That's the thing. I came late to this show. Yep. Some friends of mine said, watch <laughs> this. You're going to yeah. love it. And they watched it hot after Breaking Bad. But it took me a while to get around to watching. I think because I, I wanted to uh, mull yeah. over Breaking Bad a bit longer before Ooh, I moved into You need recovery else. time. You do. You do. Let's have a track to let people recover from all this. Jibber jabber, as they would say in uh, uh, Boston Legal, <laughs> to quote another. Great show! This is the the main title theme for Better Call Saul. We played a kind of a, a, a variant of that last week on the show with um, some lyrics. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, stacking Z's on zero G on three triple R FM. Hmm, some nice work there. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, Better Call Saul, and that's the music that opens each episode of the show. Well, that one was a, a kind of a cover by Void uh, Voidoid, and it was a special single that they just put out there for Better Call Saul. And the music palette of the show is exquisite as you would expect the Breaking Bad one. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you get a, a lot of needle drops that work quite well, you know. The procedural in this, where Breaking Bad was about, the Drug Cooking Procedural. Science. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. science, uh, which is what drew in Zero G's interest in yeah. the first place. It actually is science fiction in that uh, sort of contemporary sense that you sometimes get. Procedural in this, you'll be glad of this, Megan, a lot of legal legal, stuff. <laughs> Courtroom drama mm-hmm. filtered through the very dodgy eyes of Saul. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Increasingly so as we go along. But here's... An excellent pull a rabbit out of the hat lawyer, you know the one the ones who yep. can just bang and finish off the uh, the case with one well chosen witness. Uh, so much of that in this, either with uh, Saul or, or Kim working through it, and of course once they get drawn into the cartel business, there's even more yes. complications for that. So you've got the drug running scene along the other side mm. of it there, with. A remarkable bit of nuance in there, I thought. But sure, okay, we've got you know Tuco, the the drug-addled psychopath yeah. from Breaking Bad. He appears, but there's more to him than that. He's got this amazing love of his grandmother, and the Salamanca family—they're all really big on family. It's their one saving. <laughs> yeah sort of grace. Lalo, another Salamanca, he's got this whole thing going on where he seems jovial and nice and he's a chef and all sorts of, you know, he's a jolly good guy. He is a benefactor Mm. to the Salamanca people back in the region of Mexico where he comes from. You know, he pays for dental treatment for... Some Just, good a, good Just right? a good guy. Just a good guy. Yeah, no, very much. <laughs> well no. can
0: be both. Can do good things and be a bad guy. Can be a good guy, does bad things.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the relationships between him and Jimmy, because it is called you know, better call Saul. So it yeah. the that show. That is the filter that you get everything through. They're inflected and complicated because Saul is he's not as much of a power guy as Walter White mm. ended up being. Yes. So he's trying to move his way through. I think Lalo best described him as La archer, the cockroach. He'll always survive. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, now here's an interesting point. Sometimes in prequels it gets really annoying because some of the characters have plot armour. We know they're not going to die. Yeah. With Jimmy it's more how's he going to talk his way out of this?
0: Yeah, it's a bit of a twist. So it's still the case but you're like, oh, we've set it up so that really he should not be getting out of this whatsoever.
1: Of course, it helps that he's now entangled with Mike Ermentrout, the formidable killer, Great senior citizen character. You know. Gosh. <laughs> Mike. Played as the world-weary, pragmatically ultimate professional with an increasingly eroded moral code by the very worthy Jonathan Banks, who I first saw as a policeman in Gremlins back in the day. Even better in this, actually. We see so much more of it. And his quite affecting relationship with his family, Mm. who were sort of the MacGuffins pushing him forwards in Breaking Bad. We see how that developed. We get a lot of the drug set-up procedural in this. How did that underground lab get built? There's a great deal of stuff about that in here, and I thought, yeah, I wanted to see that (laughs) kind of stuff. And, of course, there is just evil on a grand scale, and I'm speaking of Gus String, who has got reasons for actually the way he is. They do go Mm. into that. Mm. But, gosh, he's a stone Mm. killer. Gosh.
0: Well that's always the best kind of villain, right? The one where you kind of understand why the way they are they're the way they are. Mm. But
1: at the same time you're like, ooh, this guy. But you know, everybody is so well drawn in this. Mrs. Newin, the um the owner of the nail salon, which has got Jimmy's law office originally oh, yeah. in its utility room. You know, it's all those sorts of things, the little bits and pieces of smaller characters. Um uh Jim Beaver shows up again as um the arms expert who will get you any weapon for a reasonable price. <laughs> uh, hi,
0: this is Jim Beaver. I play Bobby Singer on the T V series Supernatural, and you're listening to three Triple R FM0 G Idjits.
1: You know, and the and the guy who was selling vacuums who is in charge of relocating criminals. And this is like a, a witness protection program but but yeah. for criminals. Oh, yeah. Criminal
0: protection to program. Yeah. <laughs>
1: We don't want you to be a witness, so this is what's going to happen, you know. Another wonderful vignette of character study is the German mining engineer, Werner Ziegler, who excavates Gus's mother of all meth labs. It's played by Rainer Bock. Let's have a track. There's an unsquare dance by Dave Brubrecht that just blew my mind, given what they put alongside of it. Dathdar, this is Gareth David Lloyd, Yanto Jones from Torchwood. You're listening to Zero G on 3 rfm Take a seat, I've just put the kettle on. An unsquare Dance by Dave Brubeck, Better Call Saul, prequel to Breaking Bad, on stand or DVD, intricate stuff in this. I did call out the visual style before, that thing where they'll focus in upon one broken object and you know what they're doing, and it's like, yeah, okay, I see this. And sometimes you'll see that at the start of an episode, and there's a lot of complicated forms to some of these episodes. I don't know if they actually get as complicated as they did in Breaking There were some concept episodes for sure, yeah. Yeah, and I hadn't seen things going quite as complex as that since, oh, look, I probably have, but it calls back to, to mind the days of Mesh. Right, okay where you would have really groundbreaking yeah. uh, formats for shows yeah. and stuff. So Breaking Bad had that. Saul has its own sort of tone, mm. more crooked, <laughs> if like, you, know, you can imagine <laughs> that. Yeah. So look, you will enjoy this show if you're a Breaking Bad fan. If not, it'll probably turn you on to Breaking yeah. Bad because you're going to want to see more yep. of this. And I will shout out one surprise. Cameo from Carol Burnett. Oh, (laughs) there is a name that echoes through history. Unexpected, yeah, yeah. So, I'm gonna do a spoiler there. Oh, and speaking of where do we know them from, Jesse Ennis, who plays Joe in Mythic Quest, is one of the paralegals in MHH Law Firm. Joe, (laughs) yeah, Joe. Not as that character, of course, and uh, uh, and not playing that sort of ruthless. <laughs> Deadpan kind of. She's a great character, though, I feel like, yeah. Yeah, but it's great to see the actors. Yeah, there. for sure. So, yeah, this is Better Call Saul. No, this is Zero G, talking about Better Call Saul. and I highly recommend it. I can't see that the sixth season is going to disappoint me. I mean, you know, it's not going to do a Game of Thrones.
0: I've I've heard it just keeps getting better. A lot of people have said that if they were watching Better Call Saul and the latter portions, they were, like, it just really all came together. And that's sort of Breaking Bad as well. I think it was solid the whole way through and the arcs were perfect. But, it like, the end seasons are the where it really shows how accomplished it is as TV.
1: And although it's been nominated for a lot of awards and has won a bunch, it hasn't actually managed to net a big Emmy. No, and I think at this
0: point it's probably lost a bit of steam, unfortunately, and a lot of them are going to some of the other more flashy names, but I think it's definitely got a lot of critical and audience cred
1: and a lot of love. Yeah. So if you want to see everything from Saul Goodman practicing elder law for retirement homes... And, my God, he's good at that. You know, he really worked at that. Through to more malevolent assassinations taking place amongst the cartel and some surprisingly touching scenes between every character who you could possibly imagine and one of the deepest dives into a brother-brother relationship I've seen on television.
0: Wow. Okay. Amazing.
1: uh, This is the show for you. So, yeah, not as much science fiction in this one, but still plenty of procedural. Legal show, lawyer show. Yeah. Illegal show <laughs> too. Yeah. I can actually see this. You know, this is so good. This could be a Marvel show. <laughs> I would so much love to see a crossover of Saul and Jen Walters in court with Matt Murdoch showing up. I don't know how it would work, but, yeah. All right, well, okay, that's about it for Zero G for today. Lots of tracks unplayed because there's just too too much to talk talk about. Yeah. So we're going to go out with a track called Death Don't Have No Mercy, and this is by Max Magro and the Wolfgang, and I don't know exactly what this is about. It's from the sixth season, so something I haven't seen yet, so it'll be a a musical spoiler for me. But you know, one of the characteristics of this show, once again, lots of music being played in totally inappropriate. Yeah. <laughs> so Better Call Saul, you can catch up with it on stand primarily or DVD. I think I'm not sure if the sixth season is out or is there's one of those big honking box sets. Uh, it's the greatest thing since Walter White's cooking. <laughs> Actually it is a cooking, it is the total cooking there show you go. Today.
0: It all links up.
1: So, look, thank you, Megan, for putting me onto the menu. I did enjoy it in a sick, twisted way.
0: Mission accomplished for me then. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. And we'll go out with this track. And Joe Burnett coming up next with Astral Glamour. And thank you to Alice, our podcaster. We would not be able to function as a show without our own crew, our own entourage, our posse, our kitchen of master chefs. Okay, that's it for Zero G. Bon Appetit. And until next week, better call Saul. G'day, this is Rob Jan. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Zero G, a weekly radio show exploring science fiction, fantasy, and historical. Zero G is broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Monday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via our Facebook page or the Triple R website.